in the horror genre. I'm your host, Nicole, and it's time to share another dark tale. I'm here today to talk about something that has been on my mind for a long time, like years. And that is the Shining miniseries, which is a largely just dismissed film. People don't take it seriously. You can't stream it anywhere. It's hard to find the DVD. Like It's like people have just buried this version of The Shining. And I love it, but I will get into why a little bit later. Stanley Kubrick's The Shining that came out in 1980 is obviously a masterpiece, and I love that film. The scene with Grady in the red bathroom still gives me chills to this day. I think it's one of my favorite scenes in a movie ever. But I'm not really here to talk about that, and I'm also not really here to compare the miniseries to that. Now, the miniseries does have its problems, and I will acknowledge those problems. It's got bad CGI, it's got some goofy ghosts, it has the ridiculous uh, imaginary friend version of Tony, but honestly, I think that there's way more good than bad here, and people really harp on the bad and don't stop to acknowledge the good. Now, I will give you a disclaimer on this. Uh, The Shining miniseries came out in 1997. I was 14. And, you know, I have a tendency to hold films that I saw at that time in my life in a higher regard. You know, if I saw this movie for the first time today at age 35, I feel like I could have a very different set of opinions, Um, but I didn't. So, uh, you know, I want to present to you today the defenses that I have been using for this film for the past 20 years. So we're going to have fun. I want to get into it. Here we go. Okay, first of all, I feel that it is unfairly compared to the 1980 film. Like I said, I don't want this to just break down into a comparison of the two, but obviously you can't really talk about the miniseries without talking about the Kubrick version, at least some. So as I said, I just feel like that's an unfair comparison. Uh, The miniseries obviously was made for TV, 
which gives you, you know, time and budget restrictions. Um, you're not allowed to show a certain level of, of violence. Um, also, it wasn't directed by, you know, one of the geniuses of cinema. I mean, I really respect Mick Garris and I think he's done some really cool things and he obviously understands Stephen King, but he's not Stanley Kubrick. Director for director, like visionary for visionary, you just, you cannot compare the two. And also, it's not trying to be the 1980 film. Um, I think Mick Garris and Stephen King, they worked together and they had something that they wanted to do. They set out to do it and uh, it stays true to its own vision. And to this day, they do not apologize for that. The second thing I want to talk about is how it's not a remake. So this is a soapbox of mine. If a film is based on a book, it's just not a remake. It's an adaptation. You know, it's not really a remake unless they're making a movie based on another movie. And the miniseries is taking its direction from the novel, not from the 1980 film. Uh, And you may think that's splitting hairs, but in, you know, the horror culture today, when people are talking so terribly of remakes, I feel that it's an important distinction. And we're experiencing the same thing with Pet Cemetery right now. People keep referring to it as, oh, the Pet Cemetery remake. Why are they remaking Pet Cemetery? Well, they're not. You know, someone read the novel and loved it and said, oh, I have a vision for this. I'd like to interpret it visually. And I think that's okay. So those two things are kind of hung on the film that came before. Everything else I want to talk about is based solely in the movie itself, regardless of what came before it. So instead of talking about what the film is not, I'm now going to get into talking about what the film is. And these are the reasons why I love it and why I think it is a good movie. So I think it is almost perfectly cast. The cast in this movie is just great. Um, You have Steven Weber as Jack Torrance. I think he's a fantastic Jack Torrance. Rebecca DeMornay, Wendy, a fantastic Wendy. We have Elliot Gould, best known as Monica's dad from Friends. He is Mr. Ullman, and he is such an unlikable Mr. Ullman, which is what you want. We have Melvin Van Peebles as Dick Halloran, also great. We have Pat Hingle as Watson at the beginning. He's not in the movie very much, but his relationship with Dick Halloran, the cook, is really great. And there's a lot of uh, kind of fun banter with those two at the, the beginning. I will say the one major misstep in casting is Delbert Grady slash Lloyd. <laughs> they cast, I, I don't remember what the guy's name is, but He's just not, everybody else is like, you can really get on board and you kind of feel like, oh, they're really nailing it. And you get to the Grady scenes and it's just kind of like, I don't know, you're losing me here. So piggybacking off of the cast, the cast is great. And what the cast does is really gives us a deeper look into the characters. And of course, if you're making a film based on a Stephen King novel, I mean, characters are really important. And it's, I think, difficult. Part of the reason it's so difficult to make a good Stephen King adaptation is because so much of his novels, you get like what's going on behind the scenes in somebody's head and in their like emotions and their thoughts. And it's very difficult to put that on screen. Um, And I'm not saying that they did that 100% successfully here because they absolutely did not. But I do feel that we got a pretty, pretty good look into all the characters. So Jack, 
He is a loving husband and dad, and we actually like him. Uh, We're rooting for him. We see his struggle with addiction. We see that he's been a failure in the past, but we also see that he's really trying and that his family loves him and that they're all just trying to like rebuild their lives together. And so when he starts to kind of break down and fall apart and succumb to the evil in the hotel, we really feel for him. And we really have a sense of dread that like, oh, this is not, this is not gonna go well. Wendy is also a strong character. She's strong and sympathetic. Even though she doesn't have the shining like her son and her husband, she's not just like a helpless pawn. You know, she knows what's going on. She has a part to play and she's not going to just be ran over by the hotel or her husband. So I will interject here with a couple of words about Kubrick's Wendy because a lot of people, that's like their least favorite thing um, about Kubrick's version where there's not a lot of criticism. People criticize Wendy because she's just not likable. She's very just kind of like hysterical and hard to watch and just clueless. But upon my most recent watch of the Kubrick version, I had a realization that changes the way I watch that movie. And it is because of the miniseries that I came to this realization. I think that maybe Kubrick's The Shining is told from Wendy's perspective. Because if you think about it, Jack and Danny have The Shining. They both know what's going on. Danny definitely knows what's going on. Jack kind of knows what's going on. But Wendy like really doesn't know. Like she's kind of clueless. And in the Kubrick's version, we are clueless. If you haven't read The Shining and you watch that movie, like you have no idea what's going on. You don't understand why there are ghosts at the end. You don't understand the dog man and the guy in the tux. Like you're, what is this? You have no idea. And I think it's because that story is told from Wendy's perspective. We're with her. And every day is just a new world. And we have no clue what's going on. We don't know why there are ghosts. We don't know why our husband's losing his mind. We don't know why our kid is coming down the hall wet. Like we just, we're clueless like she is. So next time you watch the Kubrick version, maybe watch it that way. And uh, and it'll give you, you know, a new view on that film. But the miniseries Wendy is strong and likable and we are on her team. Um, Danny is normal. He's a normal, if somewhat annoying kid who just happens to have a strange gift. He feels like a normal human little kid instead of a little weirdo. As I said, he is a little annoying. I don't think the casting was super great on Danny, but I do appreciate that he feels like a normal kid. Uh, this, these people feel normal. This family feels normal. Um, and again, that's really important to get us emotionally invested. And it's so much more powerful later when things start to fall apart because we've seen them together as a strong, loving family unit that obviously has problems, but is really trying to mend their family. Another character relationship that's really great is DeCalloran and Danny. Uh, Their relationship in this movie is just gold. Now, later on when there's like, you know, shining, communicating just in each other's heads, like that doesn't really work. But their little scene on the swing set where Dick is first telling Danny about The Shining is just really precious and seems natural. And you just, you feel that connection. You feel for Danny. You're worried for him as Dick is. It's just, it just works. You shine on, boy. 
harder than anybody ever met in my life. And I'm 60 come this January. Shine on. Got a knack, that's all. I've always called it the shine. My grandma called it that too. She had it. Had it. Strong. We used to sit in the kitchen when I was a boy and older than you and have long talks without ever opening our mouths. Am I the only one you ever met? No, child, no. Are there lots of them? No, but you do run across them from time to time, like folks with six fingers on a hand or eyes that ain't the same color, don't quite match up. But most folks who shine, they only shine a little. But you, son, I can feel it coming off you like heat. I bet you just about glow in the damn dark, boy. <laughs> Obviously, these are all the main characters that keep the movie moving. But there's another character in the film, and that is the setting. That is the hotel itself, because it is kind of a living thing. The ghosts in it are all kind of a small piece of a bigger whole. That is the hotel. That is the evil machine at the center of this story. In the Shining miniseries, the atmosphere just feels right. They nail that kind of ungraspable, behind-the-scenes evil that's going on. They mess it up a little bit with some, again, some goofy ghosts and some really obvious dialogue and some they show a lot of the ghosts, and, and that takes away from it a little bit. But there are some pieces that they really nailed. Uh, the score is haunting. The main theme, like from the from the credits in the beginning and everything, is really nice. And then there's just kind of just a classic score behind the whole film. And it, sometimes you notice it a lot. Sometimes you don't really notice it much. But it really adds to the overall effect of the film. I also think that this movie, for the most part, feels pretty timeless. Um, It was made in 97, and a lot of people have said to them that, oh, this just feels like a Hallmark movie. And I get that, because it does have a little bit of the the made-for-TV quality. It's not hugely cinematic. But there's a lot of things about it that I think feel timeless. I think uh, the costumes and the makeup are great. Um, And I'm not talking about, like, the ghost ball costumes. I'm talking about, like, Jack and Wendy and Danny. Um, The clothes they're wearing and just their hairstyles and everything don't necessarily feel 90s. Overall, those people look like they could sort of exist in any time, which I think is important for this story. Also, and this is something, again, that some people have counted this against the film, and I actually think it's great, is kind of the lighting and just the feel. The whole thing feels really theatrical. Like, the way it's lit is very, like, moody and there are these kind of like hot spots of light here and there the fireplace and like there are these like uh, bright lamps and dark rooms and the way that the liquor bottles the light is kind of under the liquor bottle so they look like they're glowing it's just very moody and feels theatrical like you almost feel like you could be watching like a stage play and I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing but for me I really like it I think it's beautiful I also like the ghost makeup, <laughs> which again, I feel like a lot of people would, would knock it for that. Um, 
But I don't know. I like how, like at the ball, they're, they all just have a, just a little bit of like a dead look. Uh, again, I think there's way too much of the ghosts, but if we had been given just like little slivers of the ghost where they, they look glamorous, but also have this just like slightly dead feel where something just feels off, um, I actually think that's really nice. Now, when they're like, there's a few scenes where the ghosts are like kind of dead and rotting and I don't know, again, I, I, those I think have more to do with just there's too much ghost than the way they look. But yeah, so the costumes, the makeup, the lighting, all of that, I think, add to the atmosphere. But one of the biggest components of the atmosphere feeling right is that they shot it at the Stanley Hotel. And the Stanley Hotel is the hotel that Stephen King and his wife, Tabitha, actually stayed at where he got the idea for The Shining. And so the fact that they shot it there, I think it just adds a layer of realism to it. And I got to visit the Stanley Hotel a few summers ago, and it was amazing. It's one of those places where as soon as you like get out of your car, you can just like feel like the weight of history in that place. Um, I think even if you don't care about The Shining, you don't know, it's just one of those places that you, you can just tell like a lot has happened here. A lot of people have walked through these doors It just has, like I said, just the weight of history on it. It's a magical place. And so you've got sort of the intimate setting and the light of the Stanley with the beautiful landscapes at the Stanley. And it's just, oh, it just crystallizes into a beautiful setting. So speaking of the hotel being a character, Another thing I really appreciate about the Shining miniseries is that we get a deeper look into the history of the Overlook, which is important, I think. In the book, every time we get little snippets of things that have happened there before, we don't always get details, but it just adds like layer upon layer of what is going on here. And again, it builds that sense of like dread and this sense of like this unseen evil behind the scenes. And they refer to, in the miniseries, they refer a lot to the manager. And I think that you're supposed to think that maybe that's Horace Derwent, but I've always thought that, no, the manager is whatever evil entity is like running this machine. And it was there before Horace Derwent was there. And I think this is really illustrated um, in the scene where Jack finds the scrapbook in the basement. It's very unsettling. And it, sh- it, uh, it really serves to show us that this place has like seen some dark stuff. And we only get to see a few pages in a scrapbook that is full of pages. And so to me, that really helped set up this sense of history in this place that like, here are three horrible things that happened here. By the way, this scrapbook is thick and full of things. And we don't know whose scrapbook it is. Like Jack makes a point to say, you know, oh, whose memory book? when we never find that out. So the scrapbook scene in the basement is uh, kind of one of my favorite, you know, un- unsettling moments, but it's got some seriously disturbing moments, especially for TV in 1997. Um, TV now gets away with a lot. You can pretty much get away with things on TV that you can get away with in a movie. Um, but at the time, some of the things they were able to accomplish in this miniseries were a big deal for TV. So I mentioned the scrapbook in the basement. Um, another one is room 217. 
I think the room 217 lady in the bathtub scene is so scary. When he pulls back that curtain and she is just sitting there in that like pool of disgustingness and she slowly looks up with those dead eyes and then we get just a shot of just her foot coming out of the bathtub. Oh, it's very, very creepy. And I think spot on. A little boy here and a little boy there. Here a boy, there a boy, everywhere a boy, boy. Hello, Danny. I've been waiting for you. We've all been waiting for you. (gasps) So apart from the supernatural, ghosties, there are some realistic disturbing moments. And of course, those have to do with Jack and his violent outbursts. So because we see Jack and Danny's relationship, and it's so sweet, later, when Jack starts to lose it, just a little bit, you can feel the tension. When Jack finds Danny in Mr. Ullman's office, trying to take one of the pass keys to one of the rooms, that scene, oh, where he's just like, subtly threatening Danny, it's very tense. Like you can feel the threat of violence. Like you can feel the tension between them in the fact that his temper has been an issue before. He has physically assaulted his child before. And it's just, it's just, it's thick with dread. And of course that's near the beginning, but all of those little things serve to set up what's coming later. And the worst of what's coming later is when Jack assaults Wendy. Uh, Now, again, her character is so strong here because there's nobody coming to like save her. And you really do feel that her life is being threatened. And she manages to fight back and save herself, which is very important. But we actually see Jack hit her with that croquet mallet several times, um, and it does not cut away. Again, we've seen lots worse things on TV since then, but even watching it today, like it's very like, oh, oh. Um, I think what it has to say about you know domestic abuse and family disputes and darkness within the family is is pretty powerful especially since we've seen this family together as a loving family. We've seen Jack as the loving husband, the sweet dad. And so to see him attacking his wife, trying to kill her, it's very scary. And again, Jack's performance at this point is a little hard to take seriously at times. But when he is just stalking her with that croquet mallet, like it's very unsettling. So as I said in the beginning, there are definitely you know, some problems with the Shining miniseries. I think the biggest problem is probably that like when it does go wrong, like it goes really wrong, like it goes way off the rails. But also, as I said at the beginning, you know, those those things don't bother me enough to make me just discredit the whole film. 
I think that the Shining miniseries, it has the right spirit. You know, it feels like The Shining, which is really important to me. Um, The atmosphere and the story are the two things I think that are probably the most important to me in good movies in general, but especially in horror. I think this has the right spirit so much so that when I read the book, this is what I picture. I see Steven Weber when I'm reading about Jack Torrance. I see Rebecca de Mornay when I'm reading about Wendy. When I'm reading about the hotel, I I see the Stanley in my head. And I feel like that is, you know, that's because this movie and that's because this movie is good. At this point, I have to I have to go back and talk about the Kubrick version a little bit because These two films are kind of at opposite ends of the spectrum. So the Kubrick film is kind of like all style and no substance. The miniseries is kind of all story and no subtlety. So they actually work kind of great together. They're sort of like a fun double feature. It'd be like the longest double feature ever. But I love them both and I love that they both have, that they have different things. And so I do feel that there is room for a third adaptation here. And I don't know if we'll ever get it. I don't know if anyone will ever be brave enough to take on The Shining. But if we could get an adaptation that combines the style and the dread of Kubrick's version with the story and the heart of the miniseries, I think that is where our perfect The Shining lies. And I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever get it. But if we do... I'll be the first in line to see it. Thanks for tuning in. You can find the show on Instagram and Facebook at Light and Shadow Pod. Sign up to become a supporter on Patreon for early access to all episodes and more. Please rate, review, and subscribe to help other people find the show. Until next time, stay spooky. It's quarter to three. There's no one in the place. Except you and me So set them up, Joe I got a little story I think you should know We're drinking, my friend To the end of a brief episode Make it one for my baby And one more for the road I got the routine Put another nickel in the machine Feeling so bad 
Just make it one for my 